what is your very best caught in the rain story? For me, I think about being an eighth grader at Wilson Middle School, and they had canceled classes because a hurricane was coming, but it was one of those storms that ended up not coming to Tampa, and it was just a bunch of rainfall. So when the school day was canceled, what do you do? A bunch of eighth graders are going to be running around my neighborhood. I lived in Parkland Estates, going from house to house, yard to yard, playing basketball, playing tag. And then we ended up at the park across the street from my house, which had flooded. And so there we are wading through the waters when the rain began to fall. And it was just the picture of innocence and freedom and adolescence and probably one of the most fun days of my life. What is your very best caught in the rain story? For a group of farmers in Mississippi, it would have to be the night that they called a prayer meeting. The story goes that a drought had come through the land and all of these farmers were desperate. They were so worried they were going to lose their crops, lose their livelihood, their families were at risk, and so they decided to gather one night for a prayer meeting at the church. So as all the farmers shuffled in, sure they greeted each other, but the mood was pretty gloomy. Well, all of a sudden, towards the back of the room, laughter broke out, snickers. The men at the front are turning around, craning their necks, trying to see what's going on, and they see the other men throwing elbows. Check out Ed. Well, Ed walked into the room wearing galoshes and waders during a drought. And one of the men said, hey, Ed, you have to ford a river to get here? And with all the confidence in the world, Ed said, fellas, I thought we had gathered here tonight to ask the Lord to send rain to save our farms. So I dressed for the miracle. That night, Ed was the only man who made it home dry as they walked out to the downpour of answered prayers and God's love. My daughter wants to make sure you know that this is her umbrella. <laughs> um, so today, we are going to be talking about the most famous rainstorm in all of history. 40 days of rain, to be exact. See, we're starting this new sermon series called 40 between now and Easter because we are in a season of 40 days, Lent. Many of you in the room were with us on Wednesday night where we celebrated Ash Wednesday. We worshiped, we repented, we were honest before God. And we've been given this gift of space of 40 days. It's similar to the way that Advent was for Christmas. Lent is this gift from God. It's saying, hey, I don't want the most important day of the year to sneak up on you. I want your heart to be ready for Resurrection Sunday. So here is 40 days. 40 is also a really important number found in the Bible. We're going to tackle different times we see 40 found in Scripture between now and Easter on every single Sunday. And this is the first one. The first time you see the number 40 in the Bible is in Genesis with the story of Noah. Here's what happens with the number 40. It's a heads up. God is saying, heads up, I'm up to something new, a new activity, a new beginning. It's always the onset of a new chapter of God's work. Whether it's 40 days or 40 years, we know when we see 40, something big's happening. So today, Noah. 
Now, I could do what every good children's ministry would do and have a big felt board up here with all the pictures. You would have the big, puffy, white, marshmallow rain clouds. You would have the zebras and the elephants and the giraffes holding hands, walking up the ramp onto the ark. Noah would be standing there, kind of like a grandfather zookeeper, welcoming the animals onto the boat. We have a storybook at home called Goodnight Ark in which Noah goes room by room through the ark, tucking in the animals because they're having a hard time sleeping. <laughs> this is not the story of Noah's ark in the Bible. <laughs> See, Noah's ark and the story of Noah in Genesis actually starts with really bad news, really heavy news, really hard news. And that's the same thing as Lent. See, if we don't accept the hard news, and if we don't chew on the hard news, then we don't know what we're looking for when it comes to good news. Here's the truth. The human heart is wicked, evil, corrupt, and depraved. My heart is wicked, evil, corrupt, and depraved. I am selfish. I put myself before others, and I put myself before God. Some of you are squirming. Well, this isn't fun. I liked when she had the umbrella better. <laughs> but it's the truth. And if we don't accept it, if we don't wrestle with it, then there's no good news. You see, God didn't send Jesus to earth on a field trip. God sent Jesus to earth on a rescue mission. I've shared this Tim Keller quote before, and I'm going to share it again because I just think he sums it up so well. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and more flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We want to skip ahead to the second part. We want to get to and yet. But we can't because it's not good news until we first know the bad news. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the picture. And immediately, we see relational treason take place. Adam blames Eve. Cain kills Abel. Lamech kills a boy and brags about it. You see, whenever sin is in the picture and in a relationship, the separation begins and it grows. Think of any human relationship, a marriage or a friendship or a parent and child. Wrong is done. Separation grows, wrong is done, separation grows, and it comes to the breaking point. Divorce, friends never speaking again, estrangement between a child and a, and a son or a daughter. Well, the same thing happened with God and his people, and we find it in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. How does the broken relationship leave us feeling? Bereaved, hurt, damaged. How does this broken relationship leave God feeling? Genesis 6-7, God says, I am grieved that I have made them. Six chapters into the Bible, and God says, my people, my creation, my sons and daughters, my beloved, I offered them life, and they chose death. 
You see, God doesn't force us to choose life back. He offers it. It's a gift. We can accept it, but he doesn't make us choose it. If we choose death, he allows us to choose death, and he allows the destruction that follows. And so what happens? His people, by Genesis chapter 6, had chosen death, and God allows the destruction to follow. He allows them to choose their own destiny. And so because of it, God decides to bring a flood on that's going to lead to destruction. Not ultimate destruction, but destruction. He found one man who looked different. And a whole world of corruption, someone stood out. We're going to take a look at his name, Noah, Genesis 6, 8, and 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. I like the message translation of the same verse, so we're going to read it too. But Noah, Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. This is the story of Noah. Noah was a good man, a man of integrity in his community. Noah walked with God. So in a world where everyone looked the same, one person stood out. What is God looking for? What is God looking for in us? I think he's looking for three things based on this scripture. He's looking for people who look different, faithful followers, and people who will walk with him. How could knowing this impact this gift and this space of 40 days of Lent? How could we look different on the other side of 40 days if we paid attention to people who look different followed faithfully, and people who walk with him. Have you ever met someone and you just automatically knew they've got to be a follower of Jesus? There's something about them. Their limitless generosity or the joy that they exude or their unparalleled relational skills, something about them is just different. Well, when I think of that, I think of a couple, Rob and Kendall Hamby. Matt and I went to Furman University, and we were involved in a campus ministry called RUF. And my freshman year, Rob was the campus minister. And he and his wife had unparalleled relational and hospitality skills. Kendall invited young college girls into her home every week for cooking with Kendall. She would welcome girls into her home, mentor them, pour into their lives, listen to their college drama, and at the same time, teach them how to cook. It was so simple, but it was so poignant. At the same time, on any other given night, you would find the Hamby household full of college students. It didn't matter that they had two toddlers running around, they had an open door policy. So whether it was students playing ping pong, or playing a game of cards called Chode ID, or just having deep conversation and even laughter, you knew that it was a safe place to go. But something about Rob that really stood out to me was his relationship with a dining hall worker at Furman who had Down syndrome. Her name was Carrie, and everyone was friendly with Carrie, but Rob had a friendship with Carrie. He would walk into the P-Den and go, Carrie, and everyone would turn as he would, they would see the exchange between the two of them. Rob would walk up and give Carrie a big high five. They would carry on the conversation that they had had the day before. He would introduce Carrie to the college student that he was having lunch with. Well, one day, a group of us from RUF went bowling. And when Matt and I showed up, there were our friends, and there was Carrie. Rob had called a 70-year-old woman 
and asked if her 30-year-old daughter with Down syndrome wanted to go bowling with a group of college students. How many times had she been invited to do that? For Rob, it was a no-brainer, but for me, it was life-changing. Rob was transferred to TCU the following year as the RUF campus minister there, but I was different because of Rob. And so you better believe for the next three years when I would walk into the Peden, Carrie! Matt, who is a songwriter, actually wrote a song for Carrie. And so at, during one of his college concerts, we reached out to her parents and invited them and Carrie to come to the concert so that Matt could sing the song live and in front of her. When you are fully known and you are fully loved by Jesus, your life will look different. As he flows into you, you will overflow onto the people around you. Do you look different in the world that you live in, in your school, in your community, in your neighborhood? Do you look different? I also believe from this verse that God is looking for faithful followers. Some equate faithfulness with long obedience. Imagine Noah. God comes to him and tells him about the plans he has to create, to, to, to bring on a destructive flood, and he asks him to create a boat. Not just a boat, a large boat. How big was the ark? Studies think that it was the length of a football field, the height of a five-story building, and weighing heavier than a blue whale. God gives Noah the blueprint, and what does Noah do? He follows faithfully. Genesis 6, 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The Bible isn't specific on how long it took Noah to build the ark, but I'm guessing it was longer than a DIY weekend project. You know those Home Depot, let's do this commercials? Took Noah longer, a little bit longer. It required long faithfulness and long obedience, hard work, and likely intense ridicule. But just like our farmer friend, Ed, dressed for the miracle, Noah built for the miracle. Hebrews tells us about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. You know, it probably looked like foolishness. Using, wasting all of these resources to build this massive structure that seemed completely unnecessary on dry land. But how often does our obedience make the disobedience of others stand out? Maybe you've taken it upon yourself to clean up the way you talk, to clean up your language. Maybe it's something you used to struggle with, but as you've grown in your relationship with Jesus, that is a part of you that you have surrendered. And a coworker of yours throws your being different in your face. Why don't you use curse words? Why do you talk that way? So weird. And what do you do? You, it's almost like you're embarrassed about it. And you make excuses. But see, your, the purity of your words and your obedience has made the impurity of their words and their disobedience stands out. But when they bring it up to you, you say, oh, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, just how I am. Just how I talk. Like you get embarrassed and you make an excuse. What about Noah? When he was building the boat and people asked him, did he think he said, I don't know, just building this boat, whatever. Of course not. I believe that Noah, with all the confidence in the world, told them the truth. 
said that God is tired of the way that this world has been living. He's tired of the corruption. He's tired of our selfishness. He's given us a way out. I bet he invited them into a conversation of repentance. I bet he loved that person. I bet he said, hey, pick up a hammer. Hey, join me. Hey, leave that life behind. There's something so much better. Because when we're obedient, it makes the disobedience of others stand out. And when we're faithful, there's something attractive about it. And perhaps we can bring others along with us. All, the whole story takes place from Genesis chapter 6 and 9, and we're just not going to be able to make it through it all this morning, so I invite you to read the whole story at home. But I've got a bullet point list for us that's going to help us look, see how, what it looked like to build the ark. Um, so that's going to come up for you. So after Noah is told by God that the flood is coming and to build the ark, he says, okay, the, so the ark is built, and God says, okay, load them up. You and your family, two of every animal, male and female, Y'all all get on the boat. After everyone's on the boat, there's seven days of waiting. After the seven days of waiting, there's 40 days of rain. Scripture says that the floodgates of heaven open up and that the springs of the deep burst forth and that the whole earth is filled with water, so much so that Scripture says the ark rises 20 feet above the highest mountaintop. After 40 days of rain, it stops and the waters prevail for 150 days. After that, for 150 days, the waters recede. They wait on the boat for 40 days, and after that, Noah opens the window and sends a raven out. The raven comes right back. He sends a dove out. A dove comes back with an olive leaf. And then seven days after that, he sends out the dove again, and the dove never comes back. This, this order is called a palindrome. So it's the same backwards and forwards if you flip it upside down, right? It's like the word kayak, K-A-Y-A-K, spelled backwards the same, K-A-Y-A-K. I believe that God is the most poetic, beautiful, exact creature, human being, whatever. God is so exact. God is so in tune with rhythms. In January, we talked about the rhythms of God. Think about it, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the seasons. God is a God of rhythm. God does things in rhythm. And when we follow him faithfully, we begin to live in rhythm with him. We get his cadence. Noah, working, waiting, trusting, listening, all in the cadence of God. What else is God looking for? I believe that he's looking for people who will walk with him. Ever since Adam and Eve hid from God in the beginning, God has been looking to restore his people again, to walk with us again, to talk with us again. That verse in Genesis chapter 3 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. I think before, I think they'd walk together all the time. I think God and Adam and Eve walked together relationally, talked together because think about it. What happens when you walk with someone? It slows you down. It leaves room for conversation. It leaves room for empathy. But now that sin is entered the picture, Adam and Eve are hiding from him. And so God begins the rescue mission to bring us back into a relationship so that we will just walk with him again. He sends his son Jesus, remember, not on a field trip, but on a rescue operation. And so we see in Matthew 4, 18, 
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We're going to do this together. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Because see, after Jesus had accomplished his purposes here on earth, after he had died on the cross, risen again, defeated death, he truly promised to never leave us again by giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 13 through 15. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them. Friends, God is inviting us into new beginnings to look different, to follow faithfully, and to walk with him. Man, maybe it's just time to wake up. Maybe it's just time to look Jesus in the eye and say, I don't know where I've been. I want to be like Noah. I want to be the one that you look at and you love because I'm yours. And I want to be so in sync with you. I want to be in rhythm with you. I want to live for your purposes, God. Because when we do it, it is the most incredible gift. It is the abundant life that Jesus promises us in Scripture. So what was the new beginning in Genesis? If after 40 days there's always a new beginning, what's the new beginning in Genesis? Genesis 8, 20 through 22, after the flood, this is God talking to Noah. He says, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God says, my rhythms will prevail. And he goes on in Genesis 9. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. A thread throughout all of scriptures is covenants made between God and people. We just talked about this. If you were here with our panel of married couples, we talked about the fact that marriage is a covenant. A covenant is a binding promise between people in relationship working to a common goal. And so God says, even though every inclination of humans' hearts is still evil, never again will I bring on divine interruption. My plan in Genesis 1 and 2 to fill the earth, to multiply, to make human beings who will reflect my glory, I'm not going to stop that plan. That is still the plan. But the problem is the flood didn't eliminate sin. The Bible doesn't end at Genesis 9, so what was the point? I believe that it was a foreshadowing and a nod and a teaser to the future. You see, the story screams for an epilogue. God asked Noah to climb onto a wooden ark to save a few. Well, later on, we know that God's going to ask Jesus to climb onto a wooden cross to save many. 
while Noah climbed onto a wooden vessel to save them from a physical death, Jesus is going to take it all on himself to climb on a wooden vessel to save all of us from a spiritual death. You see, Jesus is the true ark. And for all of us who put our hope and our trust in him, for all of us who climb onto the ark in relationship with Jesus, he promises that we will embark on a journey into eternity in relationship with him, life without end, no more tears, no more raging sea, just relationship on the ark with Jesus. Friends, heads up. You've been given 40 days this Lent to draw near in relationship with Jesus. So put on your galoshes. Put on your waders. Grab your unicorn umbrella. The Lord has something amazing for you, a new beginning, a new start in your relationship with Jesus on the other side of these 40 days. And I know you won't want to miss it. Please pray with me. God, thank you that you invite us into a relationship with yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for the example of Noah, someone who looked different and followed faithfully and who walked with you. Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to be your people. And Jesus, thank you that you are the ultimate vessel of rescue, that when we put our hope and our trust and our faith in you, Lord, that you save us from ourselves and that you invite us into right relationship with you from here to eternity. So I pray for anyone in the room this morning, Jesus, who hasn't put their faith in you, who hasn't begun their relationship with you, Jesus, I pray today would be the day that they would say, yes, Jesus, I'm all in, I'm yours. Lord, may each one of us look different on the other side of this 40 that you've given us. Amen. Let's stand together, friends.